a few days ago, I listened to an interview <clears throat> with a pastor of a very small church in the rural Northeast. He talked about how some have suggested to him that he's wasting his gifts and he's wasting his education on a little church in the middle of nowhere. You see, he went to all the right schools, even earning his PhD. He was on the fast track to do what his classes on pastoral ministry had told him to do. You need to lead the leaders and influence the influencers. He had the resume and the talent to lead a church full of significant and powerful men and women. But he chose a different path. Leaders lead and influencers influence. Some churches strive to attract these kinds of men and women. Some churches want to be known as the church where all the doctors and where all the lawyers and where all the college professors and successful businessmen and women and where the civic leaders attend. Of course, doctors and lawyers and college professors and successful businessmen and women and civic leaders need the gospel. They need Jesus and they need the church. But the story of the church is not the story of leaders who led or influencers who influenced. It's the story of slaves, of outcasts, of the uneducated, of those despised and rejected by society, and of those who, by following Jesus, became despised and rejected by society. It's the story of the persecutor becoming the persecuted of the rich becoming poor, of those, whether having much or having little, gave everything for their brothers and for their sisters and for the progress and promise of God's kingdom. As we've read and listened and learned from the first third of the book of Acts, maybe you've had the same reaction that I have. My experience seems shallow. My courage seems small. My faith seems weak. And as busy as I can be with church things, my journey with Jesus seems a bit boring at times compared to what these first-generation followers of Jesus experienced. I'm not one of these powerful and dynamic church leaders or evangelists or missionaries. If I allow myself to dwell on these perceived inadequacies, I can start to wonder how in the world could God ever use me? I could never pray, preach, or plant churches like Peter or Paul. In fact, when I compare my life to those of the heroes and heroines of the Bible, my faith seems more like a hobby at times. And maybe you feel the same way. We're going to read two stories today and encounter three characters. And I believe that in doing so, God wants to remind us all that Jesus is the influencer, that Jesus is the strength and the power and the wisdom of his people and of the progress of his kingdom. And it's my prayer that this truth will move you to the point where you understand that the I'm only a fill-in-the-blank, how can God use me, is only half true. You are just a fill-in-the-blank. But God has always used men and women just like you. That brings us to Acts chapter 9, verses 32 through 43. Let me read it for you. Now, as Peter was traveling around from place to place, he also came down to the saints who lived in Lydda. He found there a man named Aeneas who had been confined to a mattress for eight years because he was paralyzed. 
Peter said to him, Aeneas, Jesus the Christ heals you. Get up and make your own bed. And immediately he got up. All those who lived in Lydda and Sharon saw him, and they turned to the Lord. Now in Joppa there was a disciple named Tabitha, which in translation means Dorcas. She was continually doing good deeds and acts of charity. At that time she became sick and died. When they had washed her body, they placed it in an upstairs room. Because Lydda was near Joppa, when the disciples heard that Peter was there, they sent two men to him and urged him, Come to us without delay. So Peter got up and went with them, and when he arrived, they brought him to the upper room. All the widows stood beside him, crying and showing him the tunics and other clothing Dorcas used to make while she was with them. But Peter sent them all outside, knelt down, and prayed. Turning to the body, he said, Tabitha, get up. Then she opened her eyes, and when she saw Peter, she sat up. He gave her his hand and helped her get up. Then he called the saints and widows and presented her alive. This became known throughout all Joppa, and many believed in the Lord. So Peter stayed many days in Joppa with a man named Simon, a tanner. So Luke brings Peter back into the story for us. He tells us that Peter's been traveling around, presumably preaching and teaching and establishing and supporting churches. Let's talk about Peter. We often think of Peter as bold and courageous, and that's true to an extent. It takes some courage to say the kinds of things that Peter said. He's the kind of man who says maybe what everyone else is thinking. Um, But sometimes it also seems that he's saying what he alone is thinking. Regardless, Peter seems to say it. But I want to compare Peter to someone else. A friend of his. Someone who traveled with him for years. Someone who worked alongside in the ministry that Jesus led. And that person is Judas, the one who betrayed Jesus. Both were called to follow Jesus, and follow Jesus they did. We don't know much about Judas, but he seemed a bit concerned at times with money. We certainly know at the end he was concerned with money. Peter was a fisherman, we know, and seemed concerned at times about power and position. We're told in Luke 22.3 that Satan entered Judas. Yet in Matthew 13, after Peter suggests that Jesus will indeed not suffer, die, and rise again, one of those bold moments of Peter correcting Jesus, Jesus calls Peter Satan. And of course, Judas betrays Jesus, handing handing him over to the authorities for some money. Peter also betrays Jesus by denying knowing him three times. When we read about what Peter does and the role he plays in the establishment of the church and the early progress of God's kingdom, I want you to remember this. Peter preaches and performs powerful signs and wonders, but he's just a fisherman with a history of denying Jesus. He's uneducated. He is really unremarkable, except, and this is a grand exception, except that Jesus restored him. 
Jesus forgave him, and Jesus empowered him for mission. Jesus didn't lead leaders or influence influencers. He empowered the uneducated and the unremarkable for service. Now, let's look at the healing of Aeneas. I'm not certain, but I think Aeneas is already a follower of Jesus, though he must follow from his mattress, or as he's moved around by friends and family. He's been paralyzed for eight years, we're told, certainly by some kind of stroke or some kind of accident. What stands out as missing in this account is a request for healing. Aeneas doesn't ask, and no one asks on his behalf. Also missing is any indication by Peter that Aeneas's faith is involved in this healing. And notice carefully, Peter doesn't say, I heal you in the name of Jesus, or in the name of Jesus, rise and walk. There would be nothing wrong with either of those. But it seems that the story is told in a way to divert us from any attention we might give to Peter. Aeneas, Jesus the Christ, heals you. Aeneas rises, and then we have the climax of the story. No, not the rising of Aeneas, but the turning of many to the Lord because of his healing. The power of Jesus to heal is confirmation that he's the Messiah, and many turn to him. Jesus uses Peter, the unremarkable denier of Jesus, to heal a paralytic, the lame bringing healing to the lame. The next, mir- the next miracle is quite remarkable. Tabitha is apparently a widow who's taking care of other widows. Luke calls her a disciple, the only time in all of the New Testament that a woman is called a disciple. We learn that she has a reputation of continually doing charitable work and good deeds. She has died, and the widows for whom she was caring are mourning. Peter's about a half day's walk away, so two messengers are sent to ask him to come. And we really have no idea what they expected. Did they anticipate that the miracle, the raising of Tabitha would occur? Were they seeking Peter's counsel on how Tabitha's important work would continue? Did they merely want Peter to mourn with them? We don't know. But when Peter arrives, the widows show him how Tabitha had been caring for them by making clothing. For them, I'm sure, as well as for others. Peter sends everyone out of this upper room. He kneels in prayer and then tells Tabitha to rise. And she rises for all to see. But that's not the point. The climax, as it was in the healing of Aeneas, is in the result. This became known throughout all of Joppa, and many believed in the Lord. One is healed, and many are restored. One is raised, and many find life in Jesus. Now let me put both of these stories in their cultural context a bit. Aeneas and Tabitha would probably have been among the least likely to spread any good news, any gospel, if it were not for the work that Jesus had done in them. 
The lame were not generally respected or honored in any way. In the ancient world, to have a, de- a physical deformity or handicap was a sign that you had done something wrong. Think of the story of the man born blind in John 9. The disciples want to know, right, who sinned, this man or his parents? It's likely that Aeneas's neighbors believed that he had sinned in some way to cause his condition. Regardless, he is at the mercy of and dependent upon the charity of others to meet his daily needs. Yet, when Jesus acts in his life, he becomes one through whom all who saw him, in Lydda and in Sharon, turn to the Lord. Now, I believe that Tabitha is a widow taking care of widows. Widows were vulnerable and at risk. Jews and Christians alike understood the importance of giving care to the vulnerable and the at-risk to the orphans and to the widows. Tabitha is a disciple, and she's known for her good deeds, but she's not in any way acting out of a position of power or influence, though Christ's power and Christ's influence in her and through her are remarkable. Jesus' first action upon Tabitha's life resulted in her care and love for others, Now Jesus' second action in raising her from death results in many throughout all of Joppa believing in the Lord. Jesus works through Peter, an uneducated manual laborer and denier of Jesus, to heal the paralyzed, the lame Aeneas, so that his testimony would bring many to follow the Messiah. Jesus works through Peter, who misunderstood Jesus' mission so completely that Jesus calls him Satan to raise Tabitha so that her ministry would bring many to follow the Lord. This is important. Don't miss it. Aeneas is not healed so that he can go play golf or climb a mountain or run a 5K. Tabitha is not raised from death to life to keep building her 401K or to grow her social media platform. The power of Jesus the Messiah is displayed to draw the outsiders in and to make those who are far off into brothers and into sisters. In fact, most scholars seem to agree that Luke is using these stories to reintroduce Peter, but also to serve as a bridge between two of the most significant and surprising conversion stories in Acts, the persecutor Saul and the Gentile Cornelius. Not only can the power of Christ make the lame walk, and the dead rise, but it can even save persecutors and Gentiles like you and me. The most unlikely of people, through the most unlikely of means, are going to take an unlikely gospel to the most unlikely of places. So if you think you are an unlikely candidate to do wonderful and amazing things for God and for His kingdom, you're right, and you're ready ready for his power to be displayed in you. If you think that his power is displayed in you in order to make you happy, healthy, and wealthy, you're wrong. The purpose of the power of Christ is to draw men and women to himself. Also understand this, the power of Christ is not limited to healing your sicknesses or to resolving whatever situations need resolved in your life. It's not limited to fixing whatever problems you may be facing or to removing every obstacle that seems to be in your way. The Bible tells us and shows us 
that the power of Christ, his strength is displayed in our weakness. So however Jesus wants to display his power in you, whether through your healing or through your continued faithfulness to him, even in the midst of your weakness, he's doing so to display his glory so that others might see and might follow him. I want to close by encouraging you with these words from Paul, from 1 Corinthians 1, 26-30. He says this, Think about the circumstances of your call, brothers and sisters. Not many were wise by human standards. Not many were powerful. Not many were born to a privileged position. But God chose what the world thinks foolish to shame the wise. And God chose what the world thinks weak to shame the strong. God chose what is low and despised in the world, what is regarded as nothing, to set aside what is regarded as something, so that no one can boast in his presence. He is the reason you have a relationship with Christ Jesus, who became for us wisdom from God, and righteousness and sanctification and redemption, so that, as it is written, let the one who boasts, boast in the Lord. And then finally, 2 Corinthians 12 9 through 10. But he said to me, My grace is enough for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. So then I will boast most gladly about my weaknesses, so that the power of Christ may reside in me. Therefore I am content with weaknesses, with insults, with troubles, with persecutions, and difficulties for the sake of Christ. For whenever I am weak, then I am strong. Amen.